don't know about you, but I can sing that one again. I think I'll stay second service and do it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't particularly like this. I, I love this time of the year. I love summer, but I don't like this time of the year because we lose our students. But then I like this time of the year because we get TVR. TVR, would you stand up? Let us welcome you. Stand up to your, look at that. that a great group. Can't believe you made a 45-minute drive this morning, could you? <laughs> so glad that you're here. Australian author and speaker Christine Kane uh, gave a great illustration uh, to introduce a talk that she recently gave at Liberty University. I happened to be there. She talked about the women's, uh, the U.S. Uh, women's 4 by 100 relay team. They were actually heavily favored to win uh, gold in the 2000 S Sydney Olympics. They were hands down uh, the fastest team in the world. Not only that, uh, the, the U.S. women had to that point won 12 Olympic medals in the event. No one else even comes close to include the previous four Olympics, all gold, stretching back to 1984. It really should have been a walk in the park. Now, as you probably know, a relay race requires a proper handoff of the baton from one runner to the next. And you, you might know that the baton is regulated by restricted by composition. It's made of wood, restricted by size and weight. You, you, you see, you can't change the baton to fit your needs. It has to meet Olympic race standards. Not only that, the baton has to be cleanly handed off from one runner to the next. There are two things actually about that. It, it, first of all, it can't be dropped. If it is dropped, you are immediately disqualified. And, and you also have a 20-meter um, space to complete the exchange, 20, 20 meters. Back to the 2000 Olympics. There was apparently a sloppy exchange between the second and third runners, and as a result, the team that should have won gold won only a bronze medal. Not bad, not gold. Roll the clock forward to the 2004, uh, to 2004 and the Athens Olympics. Same relay race. Not only did we have the fastest team, we actually had the four fastest individual runners. Should have been a walk in the park. Again, something happened with one of the exchanges. The runner, a runner came into that 20-meter handoff zone and inexplicably slowed down. By the time the handoff was actually made, they were outside of the zone and they were then disqualified, no medal at all. By the way, the runner strolling into the exchange zone was Marion Jones, who later admitted to doping. She was stripped of all of her medals. You see, she did not compete according to the rules. Roll the clock forward to the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. Same race, women's 4 by 100 relay should have won again, but this time they didn't even make it to the finals. You see, in a qualifying heat on the third exchange, they dropped the baton and were disqualified. In, in, in all three of those Olympics, we should have won. We had the fastest teams. We were, in fact, winning the race when we got to that 
those respective handoff zones. Something happened. There was we were sloppy in the handoff. We didn't hand it off according to the rules, or we dropped it all together. Finally, and let's finish the story in 2012 in the London Olympics with another very solid team. We regained Olympic glory, winning the four by one hundred gold, smashing the 27-year-old world record previously held by the Germans. Something like 40 seconds. I mean, that's like four 10-second 100-yard dashes. I could maybe drive that fast if you gave me a head start. I mean, all of that's great. What's the lesson? It really does not matter how fast or how talented or how skilled one of the individual runners is, or in fact, how all of the runners are, if you do not hand off the baton well, the race is lost. You see, in a relay, it's not about the runner, it's about the baton. What matters is that the baton is passed well and is first to cross the finish line. For us as brothers and sisters, that baton is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have received the baton from someone running the race before us. And, they, and we must also then pass it on to others coming after us. We are living at a particular time in history so determined by the sovereign hand of God. It is our job to receive the gospel, yes, to run the race well, to preserve the gospel, and then to hand it off to the next generation. Truth is, I suspect that some of you here this morning are standing. You're standing there because you have not yet received the gospel. Maybe your hand is stretched out as you are seeking for truth. My prayer, my hope is that you would see that the gospel is your only hope, that you would grasp the baton of the of gospel faith and that you would run with us. But I suspect that most of us here this morning have received the handoff at some point and that you are currently in the race. You're, you're running like really fast. That's great. R- run well so that you can get to the end of your race and say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. That's race language. I have run the race. I've kept the faith. I, I've held on to the gospel. I've I've held on to it preserved and unchanged. And so now in the future, there is laid up for me a reward. You see, he's speaking of a laurel wreath, a crown of righteousness that will be awarded to me. In fact, for all those who finish the race, all those who keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, the finish line. You see, the reward is for all those who love, long for and love his appearing. And that's all really, really Good, and I suspect that's where most of, of you are. But now hear this. Having received the baton of the gospel, we have the responsibility to hand it faithfully to others, to those who are standing, waiting for the truth um, to be delivered, to those who will receive the gospel and join us in the race. You must pass on the faith unchanged, unhindered, preserved and protected. The gospel itself is at stake. We are studying uh, Paul's final letter to Timothy, his son in the faith. 
uh, to Timothy. Paul had passed uh, on the baton of the gospel. It, it's clear from this letter that, that Paul's race is done. And now as he prepares for his own, well, he's preparing for execution, he wants to make sure that the gospel will be carried forward. So he has said some things like this that we've already seen. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that we looked at a, few, a couple of months ago, the last, very last thing that he said to Timothy in that letter was, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. M make sure that you guard well the baton of the gospel. And we got to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We, we've already seen things like this in verse 5. I am mindful of the sincere faith uh, within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother uh, Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. They had the truth, you see, and they, and they passed it on to you. And so in verse 13, he could say retain. That means hold on. That literally translates hold on. Don't drop the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. Timothy, I pass the baton of faith, uh, the baton of the gospel on to you. Hold on to it tightly. Verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You have received the very treasure of the gospel. Guard it. Don't let it be dropped. Don't let it be changed. Pass it on unchanged and un, um, I mean, and preserved. Which brings us to our text this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Let's read it together. You, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, pass it on. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier is... Uh, in active service, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, this is interesting, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. That means no doping. <laughs> the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Please notice... Paul identifies four runners in this particular race. Well, at least there's a four-step process in this r relay. First, we saw last week that Paul received the gospel from Jesus himself. He told the Galatians that the gospel he preached was not from any man, but he had received it from a direct revelation of Jesus himself. So that's the first step. Second step, he passed on that gospel faithfully. In fact, he did it in the presence of many witnesses. He passed it on to, to Timothy. So third, Timothy, uh, you need to pass on the gospel to faithful men. And, and, and fourth, fourth runner, the faithful men are to pass on the gospel to others. And actually that relay race of passing the baton of the gospel from one person to the next, one generation to the next, has gone on since the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the present day. Would you stop and think about it? How in the world did the gospel make it from a hole in the ground in Rome in the first century A.D. to North Carolina 2,000 years later? Because somebody was faithful. And so now we've received uh, the baton. It's likely that one or several people were involved in passing um, the faith on to you. Our job now is to pass it on to others who will be able to teach others. In other words, they'll be able to pass it on. We are supposed to do this race, you see, until Jesus comes back. 
you are running the race of the Christian life. And you have not done it by, by yourself. Hebrews 12, one of my favorite passages, says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and that actually comes on the heels of that great chapter, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. This, this, this cloud of witnesses, those who have run before us, they serve as our examples like Abraham and Moses and Rahab and, and David and Paul and Onesiphorus and, and Timothy. And since we have those examples who have handed the, the faith down to us, let us, here we are, it's us now, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And when you think about that passage for just a moment, while we have many who have faithfully run before us, setting an example for us, it is now our turn on the pages of history. It is our turn to faithfully run the race. We glance, you see, at these examples that are all around us, but we fix our eyes, he says, on Jesus. And as we do so, we set aside every encumbrance Having done a, a study of that passage before, that every encumbrance speaks of anything that is bad or good. You see, even good things can become bad if they become an encumbrance to our running the race. Anything that distracts us. And we're supposed to throw off the sin that so easily entangles our progress in the race. We're, having set those things aside, once and for all, we run with endurance. You know, like a soldier or a, a farmer or an athlete. We run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, the author of Hebrews was writing to a group of believers who were facing, this will come as a surprise, they, they were facing severe persecution. Like Paul and, you know, and Timothy. And they were actually considering quitting. They had found that the race was difficult. They found that it was a lifelong marathon. And people were not cheering them from the sides. They were persecuting them, and they were considering quitting Jesus and returning to Judaism. So the author spends a good part of, of the book reminding uh, his readers that Jesus is better, better than what? Well, better than everything, you know, better than angels, better than Moses, better than the law, better than the entire sacrificial system. Why in the world, he is saying to his readers, why in the world would you even consider turning back? Don't do it. Run with endurance in the face of suffering. Run with endurance the race set before you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You see, even Jesus ran with his goal in mind. The passage in Hebrews 12 goes on to say, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him. He had something toward which he was running. He endured the cross. That's a fair degree of suffering. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, consider Jesus who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, we have people like Paul and, and Timothy and Onesiphorus as examples, but no greater example than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, how do we do it? How do we run with this kind of endurance? Paul tells us in our passage today, run with the grace of Christ, verse 1. Uh, pass on the baton of faith, verse 2, and then run with endurance. So let's start with, with, with verse 1. It's critically important. Paul has been calling 
Timothy and frankly us to, to endure some rather difficult challenges up to and including death. He, he, he writes in the midst of severe persecution, Timothy, I don't want you to be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me, the gospel messenger, even though I'm in chains. In fact, I'm inviting you, I'm encouraging you to join with me in suffering. These are significant challenges that Paul lays out for us. But all along, he's been reminding us that we don't run this race, we don't face these challenges um, alone. When he said those words, join with me in suffering for the gospel, he also added, according to the power of God. You have the very power of God available to you to face whatever opposition may come your way. When he said, Timothy, even though I suffer, I'm not ashamed, he goes on to say, for I know whom I believe, I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him, or, or he's entrusted to me, whichever way you translate that, until the day of his return. When he said retain or hold on to the standard of sound words, hold on to the gospel, do that, he said, in, in faith and in, in the love which are in Christ Jesus. When he said guard the treasure, he said to do that through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The call to believers is to take up our crosses daily and to follow Jesus, to endure suffering as Jesus did, to endure persecutions as Paul did. And we do that with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the goal of our faith. We do that by the power of God through the indwelling spirit. And now Paul says we do that in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that the entire Trinity is involved in your perseverance? If you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a million times. We are now and will always be people of grace. Always been people of grace. It is not only God's grace that saved us, it is also God's grace that sustains us day by day, moment by moment. We never get to the point where we say, God, I can take it from here. You see, this is typically when we become encumbered with the things of this life or the sin that so easily surrounds us. Paul was aware of this. He, he knew that God's grace, his unmerited unearned favor toward his beloved people um, is, is indispensable. It's a favorite word of Paul's. He uses it more than any other New Testament author. He knew the grace that saved us would be the grace that carries us all the way to heaven. So he says, you therefore, in light of these examples, my son, be strong. I have called you to endure. I mean, I've, I've called you to not be ashamed. Don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes, who deserted when, when things got tough. Join with me, be like me, be like Onesiphorus, who was not ashamed of my chains. Instead, he diligently searched for me, even though it undoubtedly cost him, we saw last week, maybe even his life. You, therefore, my son, now it's your turn, now it's your turn, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Please notice that he does not say what has invariably been said at high school and college graduations across the country over the last few weeks. <laughs> he does not say, look at you. Look at what you've done. Aren't you something? Not sure exactly how the world has continued on its orbit without you, but now we're here. You're here. Go out and grab the world by the tail. You can do it. He did not say 
buck up, be strong. You have what it takes. We don't have what it takes in ourselves. Rather, Paul says, be strong in the grace that is found in one place in Christ Jesus. And the word, the word there is actually translated two words here, but the word be strong is critically important. It's a present passive imperative. Isn't that exciting? It, it actually is. You see, it's exactly, it's actually the same word used in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes to the Ephesians where Timothy is pastoring. It says, finally, be strong. Same word, present passive imperative. In the Lord and in the strength of his might. You ain't got none. And why is this important? We'll take, them, take it backwards. First, it's an imperative, which means it's a command. Do this. Second, it's in the present tense, which means keep on being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Keep on. You see, we will always be people of grace. Day after day, there's not a moment that you don't need the grace of Christ to carry on. And third, it is actually passive, which means keep on being strengthened. He does not say actually strengthen yourself. He says, be strengthened by something outside of yourself. You see, in the end, it's not something you do, it's something that he does in and through you. He does this, you see, through his enabling grace. Abide, what he is saying, that I know this is going to sound like a Christianese sentence, okay? I need you to focus in right now. Abide day by day, depending on the enabling grace that flows from your union with Christ. Day by day, you abide in the grace of Christ that comes from your union with him. Apart from that, you cannot do this thing called the Christian life. You know that. When you say to him, I'll take it from here, is when you fall flat on your face. Constant theme for Paul in Philippians chapter 2. For it is God who is at work in you, both to it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according, uh, or excuse me, for His good pleasure. He gives you both the will and the ability to work. First Corinthians fifteen: For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove. Vain, but I labored even more than all the other apostles, yet not I. I it wasn't me. But the grace of God within me. You need God's grace to do this thing called the Christian life. Second Corinthians 12, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Here's the point. Even the great apostle Paul recognized that all of his labor, all of his work, all of his enduring, everything that he was able to face was enabled by the ongoing grace of Jesus Christ. So also, if you want to serve Christ faithfully, you will never do it in your own strength but by being strengthened. Not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, but by being continually strengthened, present, passive, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, constantly aware of our need to abide in 
Him. Our strength is not to be found. I need you to hear this. Our strength is not to be found in how long we've been Christians. 48 years. Good deal. That's great. Good for you. It's not in how much you know the Bible. I quote 87 verses. That's really good. That's, that's great. Not in how long we've been serving in this or that ministry. Our strength is found in one place only, and that is in the grace of Jesus Christ. Great missionary statesman, David Livingston, once was hanging out with Charles Spurgeon, 1800s, commented uh, on how much work that Charles Spurgeon could, could actually get done in a typical day. He asked Spurgeon, how in the world can you do all of this? And Spurgeon said, you have forgotten there are two of us. Don't quit. Even if others do, even in the light, he is saying, Timothy, even in light of the Neronian persecutions, even in light of the growing threat of Islam, don't quit. Don't quit in light of imprisonment and impending death. Keep on being strengthened. And the only way to be strengthened is to keep in touch with the source of power the grace that is in Christ. The grace of God does not stop at our salvation. It actually only begins there. Yet we so often forget, which is why Jerry Bridges wrote his book, The, the Discipline of Grace. And in it, he, he says, we too often begin with God and salvation and then seem to think that we can take it. We, and we often then find ourselves defeated. And so a major theme of that book is this, preach the gospel to yourself every day. He goes on, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You might want to write that one down. Quickly, because we now come to our second point. He's gone. Pass on the baton of the gospel. Paul is at the end of his ministry and he is, he's actually rightly concerned. He has watched as many have deserted in his present situation. I mean, can you believe, Timothy, can you believe it? Phygelius and Hermogenes, I, who would have ever, they did. He's concerned for the ongoing truth of the gospel. Will others turn from it as well? Paul sees himself as the first man in a relay. He'd received the baton of truth from the Lord and he's passing it on to uh, Timothy. And Timothy, you need to pass it on to others. Make sure that the truth will be safeguarded and propagated. Things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trusted faithful men who will be able to teach others. I'll give you some very quick definitions. The word entrust is the same idea. It's not the exact same word, but it's a similar word as in 1.14 when Paul said to guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you. The, the word here means to uh, commit or entrust something to another for safekeeping. Timothy, guard that which has been entrusted to you and make sure that you entrust it to others who will in turn guard it, who will safekeep it. Entrust the gospel to faithful men. Faithful speaks of those who are reliable, 
who are trustworthy, who are dependable. Uh, uh, they, they should not go astray from the truth negatively. They, they should not lose or neglect or ignore or change the gospel positively. They should be those we'll see in chapter 2. They should be those who, who accurately handle the word of truth. Pass it on to them. Now, he does here say to entrust the gospel to faithful men who will be able to teach others. I want to remind you of the context. Uh, Paul is about to summon Timothy to Rome. Timothy is in Ephesus, which has been a hotbed of false teaching, which has come even from among the elders. Paul left him in Ephesus to set things in order, uh, to include replacing some heretical elders. Uh, he reminds Timothy in his first letter that elders have to be godly men, above reproach, and they need to be able to teach. Again, Timothy has to replace these heretical false elders. So here, likely, in its context, Paul is likely saying, in your departure, as you get ready to come to me, make sure you've left the gospel in the hands of capable men who are able, qualified, or competent is the idea, who are able to um, teach others. Okay, so he's talking about replacing himself. Now, while that, I think, is the strictest and clearest uh, interpretation of the text, by application, we can apply it to every believer. Listen to me. I don't care who you are. Every man or woman, not just elders, has the responsibility and the privilege to carry the baton to pass on the gospel. You see, the transmission of truth must never be left to chance. It must be safely entrusted to reliable, faithful people who will not desert when pressures arise who will not change the message, who will not make the gospel optional, who will not make the gospel one truth among many truths, take your pick, who will at all costs safeguard and pass it on to others. Here, I don't think we're talking about just the propagation of the gospel, although that is ultimate, but he's talking about all the essential teachings of the Christian faith. All the things that you have heard from me. Notice in the presence of many witnesses, all of Paul's teachings about the gospel. Not in the presence of many witnesses. This was publicly declared. This was not some secret knowledge. This is available to everybody. You've heard me preach it over and over. This can be authenticated by all of the witnesses. You know this, Timothy. You know this is true. Look around. You know this is true. City to city. Uh, missionary journey to missionary journey. You know what I have taught. Now pass it on. We are obviously not going to have time to finish the text this morning. We'll take up verses 3 to 7 uh, next week. B but as we close, let me ask you some very important questions. You're in a race. You, you, you may not realize it. You may be doing a lot of stretching on the sidelines, you know, looking good as you preen in your warm-ups. You're, you're in a race. How is the race, how is your race going? Are you faithfully getting rid of every encumbrance, everything good or bad, that may distract you from pursuing Christ? 
ask you this question outside of this room, because I know how you'll answer it in this room, but if I ask you the question outside of this room, what is the most important thing in your life? If the first thing doesn't come to your mind, if it isn't Jesus, if it isn't Jesus, then that thing to you is an idol. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the, that's the finish line of our race. It's what, we f- we, it's what we focus on. It's what we fix our eyes on. Are you ridding yourself of sin that so easily entangles, that trips you up, that keeps you from running well? Just a little sin on the side. Nobody knows. And you're not running. Are you running in the strength that Christ provides? It's the only place. It's the only place that you'll get the grace that you need. And do you realize that this race is a relay race? Paul received the gospel from Christ himself. He, the other apostles, passed it on to faithful people like Timothy and Onesiphorus. They passed it on to faithful people who in turn passed it on to others who eventually passed it on to you, to you. And so to whom are you handing the baton of faith? Who? I have heard this saying before. I've never really liked it. Because it makes it sound like the propagation of the gospel is solely dependent on us. We've seen it is absolutely not dependent on us. Uh, we share the gospel through the strength and grace that the triune God provides. But I believe that the saying with those qualification is apropos this morning. Here it is. Christianity is only one generation from extinction. If we don't faithfully pass it on, if we mishandle the baton, if we're sloppy with the handoff, if we drop it, if we neglect it, if we change the rules a little bit, it will die. Now, again, I don't actually believe that God's grace and purpose will allow that to happen. But the truth is, here's the truth. He has chosen to use human instrumentality to carry out the propagation of the gospel. Think of everything that he had at his disposal. What is everything that he had at his disposal? Well, everything. He, he could have picked Gideon. I think, Gideon, uh, uh, excuse me, he, uh, uh, um, the archangel. Thank you, Gabriel. It's not in my notes. I just thinking, you know, sometimes you just think on the fly and sometimes you don't think on the fly. Um, He could have chosen Gabriel, which I'm thinking would have been a better choice than you or me. Used the angels to announce the birth of Christ. He's using humans, believers, followers of Christ to announce his death and resurrection. It's our job. So to whom are you passing the baton of faith? Stand with me. Father, what an incredible opportunity, uh, privilege, 
and responsibility uh, we have in this point in history. We are living, life is a vapor, but we are living in this moment in time so designed, controlled, orchestrated by your sovereign purposes. Right now, we are here, and you have chosen that the gospel be relayed, that it be shared, propagated through the likes of people in this room. That's a little scary until we remember that the triune God we, we, we share in the power of God through the indwelling presence of the Spirit and the grace of Christ. What more do we need to faithfully share the gospel? Help us to preserve it unchanged and to pass it on, we pray in Christ's name.